Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we're joined by Jake Wood, founder and CEO of Groundswell, a corporate philanthropy platform dedicated to democratizing philanthropy and giving employees the power to make charitable contributions. Jake is also co-founder and current executive chairman of Team Rubicon, a disaster response organization widely considered one of America's leading nonprofits. A Marines veteran, Jake brings a unique perspective through his time leading a scout sniper unit in Iraq and Afghanistan to building and leading Team Rubicon, and now in his latest venture, changing the world of corporate giving with Groundswell. Jake, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Uh, you've got such a great story to share with our audience. I'm really excited for them to meet you. I'm really excited to dig into a great conversation about what you're doing at Groundswell and all your insight on philanthropy and corporate giving. But let's get us kicked off, if you don't mind just sharing a bit of your backstory and really what led you to pursuing a career in service and philanthropy. Yeah, you know, it's it's not a it's not a direct and narrow path, that's for sure, uh, how I got where I am today. I, I went to college um, in 2001, you know, with an intent of, of majoring in business. I went to the University of Wisconsin. I, I got to UW because I was on a football scholarship. But I, I took my, you know, my studies pretty seriously. I, I you know, anticipated graduating college and entering the business world in one way or another. Of course, like the real goal was making it to the NFL. I quickly learned that that was not going to happen. But, um, you know, what, what happened, obviously, in 2001, 9-11 took place my second or third week on campus. And that really got me thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. I, I, I think in that moment was was thinking about quitting and joining uh, the service. I ended up not doing that, obviously. And I, I spent the next three or four years kind of consumed by the idea of, of serving my country in some capacity. Um, I graduated in 2005 and just had this decision to make. You know, did I did I go on to that life that I kind of always thought I, I would do, uh, you know, whether it was real estate development or investment banking or anything like that. Uh, ultimately, I decided to join the Marine Corps. It was a kind of a tough decision. The wars were, you know, we were in two wars by that point, both Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, I ended up enlisting into the infantry uh, and, you know, basically got sent to the front lines first in Iraq and later in Afghanistan. Um, and so that's was kind of like where service really began. I you know, was serving my country. I was really proud to do that. I think after four years of going to war, though, I was ready for the next chapter. I felt fortunate that I was alive. I felt fortunate that I had all my fingers to all my toes and wasn't quite interested in continuing to roll the dice. Frankly, I thought service was over for me. My intent was to go back to graduate school, get my MBA, you know, and go do that thing that I thought I always would do. Right. Um, but, you know, what I always kind of say is uh, the universe always gets a vote in, in what you think is going to happen with your life. And so as I was waiting for my grad school applications to come back, the Haiti earthquake happened. And, you know, I was only out of the Marine Corps for 30 or 60 days, something like that. And watching that disaster unfold in Haiti and to provide people with some context, it's been over a decade, you know, 100,000 people died instantly in that earthquake. And this was the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. So it was it was an awful, awful tragedy. And long story short it was the origin of team rubicon i I organized a team of of veterans and doctors we went down to to port-au-prince right after the earthquake and began running these medical triage clinics 
in what started as really just an idea to go down and help for one, two weeks, come back, go to graduate school, it just kind of snowballed. And I ended up, we ended up incorporating it as a, as a nonprofit, a 501c3 charity. And I found myself the CEO of this fledgling nonprofit organization. And, you know, fast forward 10 or 11 years, I was still doing that. You know, the organization grew to 150,000 volunteers, you know, was raising $50 million a year in philanthropy and running these complex disaster and humanitarian operations globally. And it was just this remarkable ride um, that was so purposeful, had every element of entrepreneurship you could ever imagine, both, you know, all the, the joys of entrepreneurship, but also all the heartache. Of course. And yeah. I finally got to a place where I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur again, and it decided it was time for me to step out of the day-to-day -day role. I, I think what it, to get back to your question, what it always delayed me from moving on from my role in Team Rubicon was this idea of, I don't know that I'm ever going to find a, a job as purposeful again. And that element of service had become so important to me and my family that I just, you know, I didn't want to go work for a company that was focused on shipping bags of cat food faster, you know, right. nothing against people who ship cat food in 24 hours, but it just didn't have that same zeal for me. And finally, I, I you know, I came up with this idea for Groundswell and, and I knew that it, it, it had the opportunity to have as much impact as Team Rubicon and it gave me the liberty to, to jump at it. That's great. Well, Jake, thank you for sharing your story first and foremost, and thank you for your service above anything else. But that's such a great story. And what I love is that you're pursuing your passion, right? We ask that question with a lot of our guests who come on, uh, many of whom are executives within the HR space. And even this year, that's not a direct path to where they've gone, but it's pursuing their passion, right? And, and it yeah. seems like that's really what's driven you. Uh, but let's talk about Groundswell a bit more and what you guys are working on there. What's your team doing and trying to accomplish in the philanthropic world? Yeah. So 18 months ago, I you know, we incorporated Groundswell with a mission of democratizing philanthropy. One of the things I saw when I was running Team Rubicon was really, really two observations. One, it always drove me insane that the average donor, you know, from, I don't know, Wichita, Kansas, didn't have access to the same giving resources that, you know, a high net worth family did. And that always drove me nuts because that, that average donor is given away often a more meaningful portion of their wealth or income than that high net worth person. I just I always found that unfortunate and frankly unfair. The second observation, we raised a lot of money. I raised you know over $300 million when I was running Team Rubicon. So I, I, a lot of it was from corporate America. And one of the things I quickly realized is companies think they're really good, good at giving away money and they're not. And there's a lot of reasons why, but I, it, I, it always struck me that Companies hope to drive business outcomes with their philanthropy, whether they admit it or not. And again, they're not really good at getting that. And I just felt like it was a missed opportunity for the company to better inspire their employees, better align values, build a culture of you know giving and gratitude internally that would pay dividends for them. And I just felt as though there was just this missed opportunity. So, you know, those were kind of the inspirations for starting Groundswell. What we've built is a platform that democratizes corporate philanthropy, or, or in other words, decentralizes it. We take what has often been a very centralized decision, usually, uh, you know, the CEO giving to whatever his or her pet project is um, and saying, hey, let's empower our employees. Let's empower their diverse perspectives on the world to invest in the solutions that they think are best to the problems that they think are most pressing. Right. Let's, you know, put another way. I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that more American households are donating to charity every year than are saving for retirement. And so you have this opportunity to provide something that's really meaningful financially 
to your employees that also serves to align values, that also serves to be an actionable step in your DEI strategy, that also reduces risk for the firm um, and, and drives that retention that I think companies are really scrambling for right now. That's great. What I love about that is we're seeing that shift just across the workplace as employees have more of a voice within their companies and you're, you're providing that, you're providing more of that individuality too in terms of supporting the charitable donations and really having a voice in where that charity is going. I think that's such a great mission that you guys are working on at Groundswell. Now, Jake, as many teams are looking at goals for 2023, why should philanthropy and volunteerism really be at the top of the priority list for organizations as they're setting their 2023 goals? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. First, uh, the, the data is really clear that millennial and Gen Z employees who make up the largest share of the workforce now, they want to have purpose as much as they want to drive profit. And, you know, this is pretty well documented. I, the, the thing that's funny about this, I don't think anybody actually knows what this means. I don't think millennials or Gen Z actually know what they mean when they say that. Certainly companies don't mean, know what they mean. But the truth is the companies that figure it out are gonna be the ones that consistently win in that war for talent. So I think that's, that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is that the world has changed and executives now know that every one of their stakeholders, whether it's an employee or a customer or an LP or investor is expecting them to take action on social issues. And that is an expectation that, you know, some people might call it unfair, regardless of whether it's fair or unfair, it's fraught with risk. And so I think a lot of CEOs, executives find themselves in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And that's that's unfortunate. And one of our core thesis, theses is that, you know, if you simply kind of decentralize that, that action by empowering your employees, again, to, to give to what matters most to them, you don't necessarily absolve yourself from having to make those decisions, but you're, you're empowering your employees. And anytime you can empower your employees, you are buying credibility with them. You are, you're gaining that, um, that retention capital that's so critical. Uh, so those are really, I think, the two primary drivers as we're entering 2023. I'll add just the third one, which is, you know, the most competitive companies out there are scrambling to differentiate their benefits. You know, how can they speak to what they value through what they offer, whether that's um, you know, access to reproductive care, whether that is um, uh, financial well-being practices or mental health apps. Uh, you know, they're trying to communicate to prospective employees with what they offer. And I think by indicating, hey, like what matters most to you, you know, philanthropically, charitably, we're willing to invest in is a powerful signal to send to the market. Yeah, in such a competitive market too, when companies and organizations are looking for ways to stand out and create that true employee experience, that is such a great angle to take where you can really impact and support charities and the causes that you believe in. As you mentioned, oftentimes in the past, we'd see that challenge where an organization maybe didn't represent the passions and where their employees maybe wanted to make their donations. This is changing the game there and giving that opportunity back to an organization. And again, as so many of us are looking for diversity within the workplace, that's a great opportunity for organizations to say, hey, we've got diversity even in how we're donating and we're really giving our employees a voice um, to support what they believe in. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, again, the, those decisions have typically been reserved to you know the highest levels of management. The highest levels of management have historically kind of looked like you and me. Um, you know, old white guys. Well, we're not old, but, uh, you know, I got a few grays. I'm catching up. White, white guys, you know, in the nonprofit space, we call we call them pale, male and stale. And, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that when 
you know, those those folks, I mean, however well-intentioned they are, and, you know, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, they're, 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 the problems that they think are most important are informed by their life experiences, and their life experiences are just going to be fundamentally different than, you know, the hundreds of associates or thousands of associates they might have in their company. And so, you know, how do you, how do you break down those traditional ways of doing things and think of a, a new way? You know, it's not Henry Ford asking people what they want and hearing faster horses. It's, you know, telling them, Hey, I, I made an internal combustion engine and I'm, I'm throwing it on four wheels to get around. Yeah. Well, think of how empowering it can be too for your employees. Every one of us has been impacted in their families and their personal lives by some sort of disease or affliction. So it's an opportunity as well where you can really make a donation to the causes that matter most to you and are, are kind of hit deepest to your heart and really feel like you're making an impact there too, which again, is just a great way to invigorate your workplace and really feel like you're making a difference and working on what matters. Yeah. That's such a great opportunity, which leads me to my next question, Jake. We're looking so much at just the evolution of workplace culture, especially in this remote and hybrid era where, where so much is changing. You're not necessarily in person day to day. ESG is now the focus of so many companies as you were alluding to just in social governance and how that's being looked at. So how is workplace culture really impacted by charitable actions? Yeah, well, a couple of things. First, you know, I think culture is often shaped by people first and foremost. And so when you have the demographic shifts that we're seeing with the influx of millennial and Gen Z talent and, and their desire to have impact in the world, I think it's just a, it's a tidal wave you can't really resist. Um, so, I, you know, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that that shift is happening. I think previous generations were more comfortable just collecting paychecks. Not, certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, but we just have to understand that the, the world is kind of shifting beneath our feet. So that's, that's really the first thing. Um, you know, the second thing is that I think companies are, are kind of finally realizing culture is not just like this squishy buzzword, but it, it, it really is the thing that is, you know, guiding the attitudes, the behaviors, the decisions of your people in the absence of being told what to do. That's kind of how I've always thought about culture and can be a secret weapon in, you know, maybe a commoditized industry or a hyper competitive industry. Um, and so what kind of culture do you want? Uh, you certainly, you know, cultures aren't monoliths. Not all cultures are the same. I think that you, you get the most out of people when um, you know, they're a part of a culture that feels like it's bigger than them. When it, you know, to put it back to millennial and Gen Z, when it feels like it's more than just making a profit, it is leaving the world a better place. So how do you make that actionable? Um, you know, lastly, people don't want to feel like they're cogs in a machine. Um, they want to be treated as individuals. They don't want to just be a resource. You know, it's probably, you know, part of the move away from the phrase human resources into things like people operations, really seeing the people that make up your workforce. And I think, again, nothing, nothing demonstrates that you see the person then acknowledging their life experiences, which again, it's, it's people's life experiences. You mentioned like illnesses. Everybody has had an illness somewhere in their family that may be what matters most to them, but it's always going to be unique. It's not just, hey, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Let's all wear pink. It's like, well, hey, like I lost a grandfather to colorectal cancer. Like, you know, let's wear that color. Like really seeing the people for, for who they are. I think that's just such a powerful opportunity. Yeah, really well said. 
it's an opportunity as well for employees to really bond and have a shared experience when you're even working at, at a soup kitchen or a charitable event together. It's, it's a great bonding experience where you're doing something good together. You can share a common goal as with any positive work culture experience, but it's for common good yeah. too. I think that's just a, a really base level way to bond and create those shared experiences that maybe are harder to come by, especially in this remote and hybrid area where it's tougher to get people together. Yeah, I, I agree. I think part of the magic of philanthropy and giving back is it forces you to shift your perspective. It forces you even just for a moment to put your, you know, to see the world through somebody else's point of view, whether that's somebody experiencing homelessness or domestic violence or, you know, um, the challenges of immigration. And, you know, this is one of the things that I, I say internally here at Groundswell is like, I want a culture where people are thinking about someone other than just themselves, right? And And I mean that kind of more universally, but I also mean that from just like a work perspective. I don't want you just coming into work and thinking, hey, how do I take care of number one? It's like, hey, how do I take care of not just me, but the the, the we? Like, I think that you can start to begin those, begin building those habits through things like philanthropy. Yeah, it's a team aspect. It's a team mindset that you're really just, just adding to in encouraging philanthropy within your organization. Now, Jake, we touched on it as well with just the importance of philanthropy and giving especially with Gen Z, which is a growing sector of the marketplace. What can companies do to really champion their philanthropic efforts to help stand out in the job market? Well, certainly. I think this is why what we're positioning Groundswell as is an employee benefit. You know, if you have a company that's given away, use big numbers, a million dollars a year and they've got a thousand employees, that's great. That's a huge number. If you're giving that million dollars to the Boys and Girls Club of, you know, central New Jersey, because your CEO sits on the board there, your people are going to say, Hey, that's great. We're giving away a lot of money, but unless they grew up impacted, you know, by, you know, that organization or that issue area, they're not going to be inspired by that. So how do you take that? You know, how do you do something that's actually budget neutral, really, you know, taking that million dollars, repurposing it and maybe giving every one of your thousand employees a thousand dollars. And now this is really, you know, almost a component of how you're thinking about your total compensation, total reward strategy. You're effectively subsidizing their philanthropy that, again, statistically speaking, they're probably already doing. And you're getting this halo effect as a company. Again, you know, just by democratizing that thing that you're already doing. I think there's such a trend and you, you touched on this in one of your earlier comments. There's a trend in this idea of employee empowerment. You know, how do we when it makes sense, how are we pushing the decision and responsibility down to our people? Because, I mean, the evidence shows that when people feel empowered, they show up as their best selves, they're more likely to be retained, they're happier and more engaged at work. Like, those are real metrics that impact the bottom line in a positive way. Yeah, couldn't say it better. That's fantastic. So, Jake, we'd mentioned really the shift we've been seeing to the remote and hybrid era. A lot's changed, right? The idea of workplace, the idea of workspace has changed. How has charitable action, how has philanthropy changed over the last two years? Have you seen it impacted by the move to a, a more hybrid model? Well, I think we haven't quite grasped yet what that's going to mean. Um, I, you know, I think there's, there, I think most of these are going to be lagging indicators when it comes to uh, corporate giving. You know, certainly kind of going back to my previous example of, you know, your CEO sits on the board of the local Boys and Girls Club chapter, you know, if, if, if all of your employees were in Trenton, New Jersey, and that's the chapter that you're supporting, like, okay, like maybe people get it. You're investing in the community that they work and live in. But now in today's era, if they're living, you know, across all 50 states and they're, you know, 2000 miles away from Trenton, New Jersey, 
you're definitely missing right. an opportunity to engage them. And so I think that there will be a move to, to a more local focus. You know, one of the things that is so incredible about this country, though, is is the deeply ingrained habits of philanthropy that this this nation has. You know, America gives an inordinate amount of money away to charity. Part of that is kind of our philosophy on you know what role government should play in our lives. That's a topic for you know another conversation. But you know, America is the leading charitable country on earth, and second place is not even close. And so, despite all of the challenges that this country and really our world has seen over the last two or three years, pandemics, recessions, inflation, all of that, giving has remained pretty high. You know, and I just I think people often fail to understand that Americans give away almost a half trillion dollars a year wow. to charity, $480 billion last year. That's, that's incredible. I love what you mentioned too about we're seeing the barriers to hiring opening up. You can now have workforces that are spread across 50 states if you so choose. We're becoming more individualized, I think, just in our our day-to-day working lives. That moving toward a process of charitable giving that is more individualized as well just falls right in line with the trend we're seeing. Um, That's where I think Groundswell is right at the forefront of that in moving toward, again, that more decentralized approach to philanthropy. Yeah, I I agree. And I think it's it's not just the prominence of remote and hybrid work today, but it's also just the rise of, you know, diversity as a thing to be celebrated and not a thing to be, you know, pushed aside. When you think about 20 years ago, the idea that you'd even have something like an LGBTQ employee resource group in your, in your company, I mean, unheard of, you know, just the, the idea of, you know, bringing together employees uh, of a certain demographic and their allies and, and really embracing and empowering that, that ERG construct has really taken off. And I think philanthropy is probably going to follow close behind where people are, are more willing to show up as their, you know, use the buzzword, their authentic self, because we've created a safer environment for them to do that. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode of the HR Works podcast is brought to you by Namely. Running HR for a mid-sized business means you need software that can keep up with everything you do so that you can focus on what we talk about here on the HR Works podcast, strategy and culture, and keeping your employees happy. So that's why you need Namely, the all-in-one HR solution that makes life easier for your employees, your boss, and you. Namely's HR platform covers your essential HR and compliance needs all in one place. Whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, Namely's all-in-one integrated platform is designed to be used by everyone every day. With a mobile app and elegant user interface, Namely lets employees request PTO, appreciate their peers, check their pay stubs, and even answer their own HR questions. Namely really offers it all, from onboarding and payroll to time tracking benefits, employee engagement, and so much more. You'll finally have the time and data you need to drive the initiatives your company truly cares about. So check it out. I want to give you an opportunity to simplify your HR process today with Namely. So I've arranged a special offer for you, our loyal HR Works listeners. Right now, get a free month of unlimited access to Namely's all-in-one HR platform, that's right, one month free, but only when you go to namely.com slash hrworks. Remember, for your free month, go to namely.com slash hrworks. And now, back to our episode. So for those organizations who may be looking at their charitable efforts and feel like they're a bit dated, they're a bit far behind, what are some ways to really modernize the corporate giving process? Yeah, I, I think it's it's really about having your ear to the ground on what matters most to your people. So, you know, you can do that a couple of different ways. You can you can still make centralized decisions if you have a good understanding of what's going to motivate and inspire your people. You can do that through, you know, pulsing folks, annual surveys, uh, understanding how people are reacting to moments in time. Like, 
you know, these big compelling events, disasters, moments like George Floyd or, you know, stop Asian hate. And really, if you have your finger on the pulse of your people, you, you can probably still do that. You know, obviously we're making a big bet on the idea of, you know, tax advantaged personal giving accounts for your employees. Basically what we do is provide HSAs for, for charitable giving. Yeah, I think those are all you know really important elements. I still do think that there's uh, a role for strategic philanthropy. Some companies do it really, really well. And when I say strategic philanthropy, I mean, you know, engaging in charitable giving through whatever your company's core competencies are. You know, so a lot of big banks they focus on financial literacy uh, for their their corporate social responsibility strategies. A, a company that I worked with extensively in the past, Home Depot. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, they're in the in the business of, of building things. And as Rubicon was responding to these disasters, uh, particularly across the U.S., our partnership with them was amazing because they they had a strategic advantage in what they could do there. But unless you really understand what your strategic advantage might be for conducting strategic philanthropy, I think it's best. Uh, to be giving cash, to be giving cash as effectively as possible in as empowered manner as possible. And then for those organizations who maybe want to step their game up that haven't really figured out the corporate giving piece, what's the best place to start? Where do you kick off putting together a corporate giving program? I, I mean, I would just caution people not to overthink it. You know, it doesn't have to be rocket science to give money away. And in, in, in fact, I think that, again, I think there's wisdom in the masses, right? If If you're trying to make strategic plans for your philanthropy, meaning, okay, we're going to make big bets, then, hey, like, th listen, there is a lot of work that goes into that, in, unless you want to just flush your money away. But again, I think wisdom in the crowds, you know, empower your people. There are cost-effective solutions out there for doing that now. Um, you know, you should be able to get a program like that up and running inside of a, of a month. If you're not, you're talking to the wrong person. Um, but again, I think it's cliche, uh, you know, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Don't overthink it. You'll never get it off the ground if you're approaching it that way. Uh, that's, that's a great way to look at it and a great place to start. And again, some great advice for our, our audience of HR leaders and listeners who can really implement this into their workforce and who may be looking for ways just to really make an impact in the giving world. And, and that is a great advice. So thank you for sharing that information with us on that one, Jake. Looking at just what we've learned over the last two years, this is a question I ask of so many guests, and, and I feel like you'll certainly have a great answer here. What have you learned about yourself over the last two years that you feel has made you a better leader? Oh, man. Uh, over the last two years in particular, um, I was a terrible remote CEO. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I was, you know, obviously Team Rubicon went remote like everybody else early in the pandemic. Uh, we were still doing work, you know, communities across the country supporting them, um, both with the disasters that continued, but also the pandemic itself. So we were pushing people out in, into in-person activities, but as a, as a full-time staff, we went remote. I was just terrible at it. Um, you know, I think my strengths as a leader are connecting with people. Um, you know, I, one of my, my old COO, now the CEO of Team Rubicon, used to say leadership's a contact sport. Um, it's not to say you can't lead remotely. I think there are people that are probably really good at it, did not play to my strengths. And so I was, I was ineffective and I was not happy. I wasn't happy. And maybe that's because I was ineffective or I, you know, I don't know, but um, I, I was really aware of it. When I decided to start Groundswell, I think I'm probably the only technology entrepreneur in the, in the aftermath of COVID that decided to build an in-person company. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's been funny. I, you know, we're trying to hire engineers and product leaders and they learn we're in person. They're like, get out of town, you know? And so that's been a challenge, but I, 
you know, I had a choice, you know, I, I, I needed to play to my strengths as a CEO. Frankly, I would not have done this if I had to do it remotely. I would have found other work. So that I think that was the most important thing that I learned as a leader was I was not good at it uh, remotely. I love that answer. It's so interesting. That's what's so cool about where we're currently at is that organizations have the opportunity and leaders have the opportunity to really lean into what makes them best and operate with that mindset. That's the beauty of this open approach. You can be fully on site if that's what makes you operate to your best ability. Great. Do that. Right. If you're operating best remotely, you can do that. Right. So I think there's a great opportunity for leaders, for organizations to really dial into who they are, what makes them best, what makes them unique and own that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing yours. That's fantastic. So I like to, to do almost a, a pay it forward approach here. So what's the best piece of advice that you've received that you can pay forward to our listeners and they can apply to their lives and as they're looking to grow in their careers? Yeah, it's a great, great question. Best piece of personal advice. I, I think, um, one of the things that I've learned and I've tried to share with other people is, you know, I, I think at times I felt like I had my life figured out, that I had a plan. Uh, I knew how things were going to go for, for old Jake. And I, I mentioned this earlier, you know, the universe gets a vote. Um, and I think one of the skills that I've developed, maybe by accident, was that I, I learned to listen to the universe, right? Like, you know, and I, I say that, you know, whether you're spiritual and you think it's God speaking to you, whether it's you're not spiritual and you think it's fate, whatever it might be, but like there's this voice in your head. And I think a lot of people are, they think they have it all figured out. They shut that voice down. They don't listen to it. Um, you know, and, and I, I think I, I've developed just this skill of like listening to those gentle nudges. Hey, like maybe you don't have it all planned. Um, you know, sometimes they're gentle. Sometimes they're like thrown right in your face and you got to figure out whether you're going to take take the left path versus the right path, but listen to the universe, you know, and, and don't be afraid to follow uh, where it's nudging you to go. I think it'd be a piece of advice that I have. That's, that's great advice. Thank you for that, Jake. So again, we're here with Jake Wood, founder and CEO of Groundswell. Jake, do you have anything you want to share with our listeners about Groundswell? Um, now's your opportunity. If you want to plug anything, go for it. Yeah, I think, you know, we've touched on so much throughout this conversation. I think that the future of corporate philanthropy is is a, a democratized version of where it currently is. There's, uh, you know, this expectation um, that's not going away, that companies take action on these issues. And I think that there's going to be a right way and a wrong way to do that. And I think that's coupled with, you know, desire from today's workforce to, to have that impact. So how, how do you most effectively, how do you most efficiently meet that demand signal? And you know, listen, this isn't just, again, my core thesis, this isn't just good for business, which I, I truly believe that it is, this is going to be good for the world. And I, I think that, um, in, you know, in 2022, 2023, as we're about to turn the corner in another year, that's just the expectation moving forward that um, we have to do more than maximize shareholder value. Um, and I think we can do that. Groundswell's here to help. That's great. And for any of our listeners who want to learn more about Groundswell, uh, do you have a website you can send them to? Yeah, they can learn more at groundswell.io uh, and tons of information on there. Um, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Always love connecting with folks. Continue the conversation that we're having here or, or learn more about what we're doing at Groundswell. Fantastic. Thank you, Jake. So now, Jake, we've shared a lot of your bio. You've had a really unique, interesting path including writing a book. I don't want to miss the opportunity to shout out. Jake wrote a memoir uh, a few years back called Once a Warrior. Definitely check that out. Beyond that, Jake, what's next on the bucket list? I think you've accomplished so much. What's next for you? Oh, man. Um, well, listen, I, 
we can't presuppose that we've accomplished anything at Groundswell. So we're, we're 18 months into this journey. I think, you know, we want to build uh, a company and a movement that can last 18 years and, and well beyond that. So for us, this is really, how do we transform corporate philanthropy? It's not, that's not an 18 month journey. Uh, that's a decades long journey. We're just getting started. Um, and I'm, I'm just excited to see it be a success. And, you know, if I can fast forward, uh, 10 years on the calendar, and we've had some measures of success doing that while I've been able to be a present father and husband for my family, then I'll look back on the last decade fondly. It's a great way to look ahead there. I like it, Jake. So let's close out on this. And this is our question we ask all of our guests. It's all about motivation. You wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor. What's the one thing or the first thing that gets you motivated to start your day? Uh, you know, I've never lacked motivation. Um, I set my sights on something you know a mission and objective and and for me i don't need any motivation beyond the fact that i've told myself i'm going to do it and uh and that people are counting on me to do it so whether that's my family putting food on the table whether that's the you know team of you know 30 35 people we've assembled here at groundswell or any of the customers that we have um, it's all the motivation you know all the motivation i need is uh fear of failure that's perfect. That's a great, great way to close out. So Jake, thank you for, for everything you've done. Thank you for your service. Glad to share this episode and provide some great insight for our HR leaders and listeners. Love to stay in touch with you and uh, we'll keep this conversation going. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, Jake. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.